This is the moment when if you have a smartphone or you have a tablet, you want to open up your Evangel app. You can find on there all our announcements, things that are happening, including a prayer meeting today at 1.30 over um, at, our, at the Lighthouse right around the corner from us. And um, also you're going to find on there the scriptures and places to take notes um, for what we're going to be talking about in the next 30 minutes or so. And so I want to um, just kind of give you, catch you up on where we've been in case you're new here or we've just taken a bit of a break from where we've been and so we want to go back to it. So we are currently working through a series that's called The Story. And the story is an abridged Bible. So there's parts of the Bible that aren't in there, which we fully acknowledge. So this is not your full-on Bible, okay? But it's an abridged version of the Bible. And it's laid out, instead of in the traditional format of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, it's laid out in a format that goes chronologically from beginning to end. And then we do a chapter every single week so that we've read through the whole thing by the time we get to about July. We started it in September. And so just before Easter, we finished what in the traditional layout would be called the Old Testament. So our Bibles, a Christian Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. And the Old, basically the dividing line is the birth of Jesus. That's, that's the divider. And so the Old Testament, uh, we finished just before Easter, a couple weeks before Easter. And now we're, we're coming back to it now uh, on chapter 22 in the birth of Christ. So we saw that right from, I just want to review a little bit. We saw that right from the beginning of creation in the Old Testament, in Genesis, right at the beginning, God was at work in our world to restore what had been broken through sin. So we sinned, we messed up our relationship with God, messed up our own, you know, spiritual DNA, we've been calling it, and just, and couldn't solve our own problem. And right from the beginning, God starts dropping hints that it won't always be this way, that he's going to provide a way out. He's going to find a way to bring that relationship back together. And, and we see that he's not only at work in this, you know, spiritual realm, but he's part of the work of everyday life. God is constantly just doing things in regular life on, you know, this planet earth in regular people's lives. And so he starts off with a guy named with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I am going to make a promise to you that you are going to have countless descendants and they're going to have their own land. And, and the final part of that promise was, and Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. And then we've been following that track through the Old Testament where Abraham, you know, becomes a family and then that family becomes a collection of tribes and then those tribes come together and they become a nation and they get called Israel. They are God's people and it's still a, a nation and a people group that still exists today, which is a little bit mind-blowing that these ancient stories are still part of our world today. And eventually, as we've walked through the history and what has happened in Israel, we've seen that there are kings that come and they start to lead Israel and a few of them are good, but most most of them are, are really not. And, and the nation ends up splitting into two nations, and then they each have a bunch of kings that come. And we see that over and over and over and over again, the people keep turning away from God. The kings turn away from God. And every time they do, prophets rise up and say, they call, you got to come back to God. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. But even when they do, it becomes a bit short-lived, and, and, and so they just keep turning away from God over and over again, and things go downhill until they are eventually invaded 
and displaced by the Babylonian Empire. And the, and the Babylonian Empire comes in and, and takes the people and, and they are exiled from their own land and, and put in this city in Babylon. And the Babylonian Empire, over time, it's taken over and it's, then it's the Assyrian Empire and then it gets, becomes the Persian Empire. And for about 70 years, the Israelite people are not in their own land. They're in Babylon. They're in this city where God says he's the one that took them there. And, and there's this advice that the prophet Jeremiah gives them, which is just, it's just so, um, it's counter to what you think he's going to say, because they want to go home. And he says to them, you know what, you're going you're gonna to stay. You are going to go home eventually, but, but for now, you're going to be here 70 years. So you need to build gardens, build houses, plant gardens, settle down, uh, you know, eat what your gardens produce, become part of the world that you are in, and pray and work for the peace and prosperity of the city that you are in, because if it prospers, you will prosper. And it appears that that actually started to happen. And because some of them do prosper and do well in Babylon. So so Daniel, we talked about him. We talked about his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talked about Esther, who became queen of all things, and her cousin Mordecai, who was raised to all kinds of power and influence. And there's just this weird thing where, where these Israelite people, these Jewish people who have been, ex- they've been defeated and exiled from their own land and displaced, and yet somehow they seem to have influence in a place where no one would think they could have influence. Where, where God, they're bringing God to a place where, you know, everyone thinks God is not there. And so then you start seeing the results of that, where King Cyrus and then later on King Artaxerxes, they each, uh, God moves on their heart, the Bible says, but they each are probably also surrounded by God's people who are carrying God's heart. And each of them makes a choice to let the Israelite people go home at different stages in their history. Go home, rebuild your temple, rebuild your city, and by the way, we'll help fund it. Like it's just crazy amounts of favor that happen with them. And so, so we walked through all of that and we ended a few weeks ago at the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, where it said that the people, we see this, just this small thing where the people start to seek God's word for themselves. And instead of going, we need a prophet or we need a king to show us the way to go. They just start gathering together, and they make this commitment to God, and kind of this grassroots kind of movement seems to start beginning. And that's, and that is, that's where we, we ended up leaving them um, just before Easter. And so, so it, it, it's, it's, this, it's this thing where we see that God's people are hanging on to a promise from God through all of this history. All of this history, this promise that God would overcome the sin problem that happened in the Garden of Eden, and that all nations would be blessed through them. And they're waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for God's salvation. That's where we left off just before Easter. Now, how many of you are here last Sunday morning for Easter Sunday? Okay. And we asked this question. We said, why are you here? What's your story? What's your story of Jesus? Why are you here in church at the foot of the cross uh, with all of us? And, and, and I told my own story of what my story was with Jesus. And I got an email this week that said, Pastor Patty, thanks so much. I really appreciate you sharing your story. And the person said, I realized I've never really put some thought into what's my story. And I need to do that. Because I have a story of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. And I need to put the dots together and, and kind of go, hey, what, what's my story? And I was just thrilled to get a response like that. I was so appreciative to hear that. Because Easter weekend is such an incredible reminder that we have a story. We have a story. You have a story. Turn to the person beside you and go, you have a story. 
And don't tell them now because I'm talking. But later, okay? You have a story. We all have a story. And we all are part of something that is much bigger than ourselves. Much bigger than ourselves. Now, the coolest thing happened this week that I thought was kind of, it was kind of cool. So uh, I, one of my neighbors came to our service on Sunday morning. And so Jeff and I were out walking the dog later on Easter Sunday afternoon. And we, we uh, met up with this neighbor. We saw her, she was walking her dogs. And so we were chatting and talking about what it had been like in church on Sunday morning. And, uh, and as we were talking, she said, you know, she goes, uh, listen, I just had an idea. She said, I, I have a bicycle. And it's a really good bicycle, and, uh, but I don't really use it anymore. And I was just wondering, you know, I'm thinking I'd like to give it away. Is there somebody in your congregation that could maybe use it? And I said, I don't know. And uh, I said, but you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll, I'll ask at staff meeting if anybody knows. And usually, I don't often, I don't always follow through like that because we have lots of people that, hey, I could empty out my garage into your church building. And I go, we don't really have space for that. So please don't start bringing me your bicycles. But on this case, I just, it seemed like I'm going to, I'm going to, so I went to staff meeting and uh, on Tuesday and I'm explaining, Hey, my neighbor has a bicycle. Apparently it's a really good one and she wants to give it away. Does anybody know anyone? And I'm not even finished announcing and pastor Tim's hand shoots straight up in the air. Okay. And he's very tall. So his hand was very high in the air. And I said, uh, do you know someone? And he said, I totally do. He said, we have this mom that's part of our congregation. She's part of our church. And she's so generous. And she's, she's always serving. And she'll take the bus, uh, a couple of buses sometimes, just to bring snacks for youth or to some of the young adults' things. And, and she just goes out of her way to bless our youth and bless our young adults. And her kid's bike was stolen this week. Right? And he goes, so she gave him her bike, but now she doesn't have a bike, and she really needs one to get around. And I said, well, I know somebody that's got a bike. And so the bike came over to our basement, and that's a picture of it right there. And Pastor Tim picked it up and delivered it on Thursday or Friday this week. And, you know, it just was the perfect timing and the perfect need to fit, the perfect thing to fit the perfect need. I mean, it's almost like God was a part of it, right? Almost. It's almost like we're part of something bigger. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. So this week in, in the story, in this series that we're doing, we're starting the New Testament, which is the birth of Jesus, okay? In other words, the Christmas story, which is weird when we just did Easter last week. A little bit awkward. And so just consider it a prequel, and, and that's what we're going to do today. And most of you, many of you will know this story or at least know parts of it. But let me just recall it for you. So, so when you talk about the birth of Jesus and you talk about the Christmas story, you know, there's this moment when an angel appears to this young woman, this young unmarried virgin woman, Mary, and says, ah, you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God. And it goes on from there. And, of course, you all have been at Christmas in the park in Cabot Square. So you know the story. You know that, that she gets pregnant. She's with the Son of God. And, and then she and Joseph, they, they have to take a trip to Bethlehem. And they go to Bethlehem because there's a census that gets called. So, at, you know, nine months pregnant, she's got to travel to, to Bethlehem. And they get there. And because everybody else had to travel, there's no room at the inn. The Airbnb system has fallen apart completely. And so this baby is born in a manger, born in a stable. 
And then somewhere in that Christmas story, there's also angels that appear in the sky to a bunch of shepherds. And, and they go, hey, today a Savior has been born. And the shepherds go, cool. And they show up at the stable and the manger. And then there's always this piece that sort of doesn't quite seem to fit. But we work on it where wise men from the east or the magi. And they come and somehow they end up at the manger and the stable, which isn't actually true. But, but we put them there because it works. And it always ends, the Christmas story always ends with a beautiful tableau like this where they're all just peacefully standing in a, in a barn that smells pleasant. And, and they're all just peacefully standing, gazing at the Christ child, and that is the story of Christmas, which isn't at all realistic. So there, I've said the Christmas story. Now we're going to reframe it, okay? And we're going to reframe it because this is not just the Christmas story. This is the next piece in God's story. This is the next piece in the story that we are looking at. And, and what happens in what we call the Christmas story is actually in the context of something that is much, much bigger. Okay? So it's bigger in just in history. This was more than just a young couple, young random couple whose, whose baby arrived, you know, a little too soon. This is much more than that. This is, I mean, if you look in history and at Israel's uh, genealogy and their timeline, which most of us prefer not to look at because we go, who cares? But, but Matthew, when he starts the story of Jesus, he starts off with a genealogical list. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of you have read it because I know you all skip it. Okay, I know that, and I understand that. But Matthew writes it down, and he writes it down for them all because he wants his readers to see who Jesus came from, where Jesus came from, and where it fits in Israel's history. And you, because you have been going through this series with us, you're going to recognize names that you never recognized before, and you are going to have a better idea too if you've been part of the story. So here's how, here's how Matthew starts. And I, I'm not even going to put it on the screens because it's too hard. Okay, so just just stick with me. Here's what how it starts. This Matthew says is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, that's the introductory sentence where he hits the high points: Abraham, David, Jesus. He's trying to show all the way through that this the, Jesus is going to be a high point, point. and then he goes back and he starts listing the names that go between each of those. Okay, here we go. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah. How many go, I know these names. Hello. Okay. So we know these names. Okay. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Oh, we know that story. That was a gross one. And Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Oh, we know that name too. We know that story. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Oh, we know her as well. Ruth, uh, Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. There's section one, done. David was the father of Solomon. We know him, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. We know him too. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. We heard of him. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. 
We know about that too, the exile, okay? After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, who we heard of because his name sounds funny and we liked it. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihad. Abihad, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihad. Elihad, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Methan. Methan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Okay? I pronounced all those names, so just saying. But Matthew wants us to see that this matters because what he does is there are four, this is how Matthew sums it up. He says, thus, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, we go, why does that matter? We don't care, but Matthew's readers, his first audience, his Jewish audience, they understand. He's trying to say that Jesus is significant in their history. He's a big deal in their history as God's people. And so he draws this line for them to say, look, Abraham was the founder of who we are. King David was the greatest king Israel ever had. The exile was the lowest point in our history. And now the birth of Jesus, who's going to become the Savior, the Messiah. He's trying to show that to them. This is bigger than just a young couple and their baby, okay? And then, and then it's also bigger because you can, you can see prophecies that were fulfilled. And I have no time to get into all of it today. But, but the Old Testament was filled with prophecies, little hints, little moments that, that spoke to what God was going to do and spoke to the Messiah and hints about God's plan. And over 300 of these prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus. Over 300 of the prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Jesus, whether his birth or his life or death or resurrection. And I'm not going to go through the list of 300 today, but if you want if you want to start, there's a couple links in the app that you can go to and take a look at and see what some of those are. Not now, do it later, okay? But, but for example, one of the things that was prophesied was that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Messiah. So it said in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which is in the Old Testament, but you, Bethlehem, Though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That was prophesied hundreds of years before. And then Jesus, who who isn't even supposed to be in Bethlehem, Nazareth is where his family's from, but census and I'm, bang, born in Bethlehem. Okay. Then, and, and there was a prophecy that it, the Messiah would be born from a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's just two examples. And the list goes on. Now, if you go, but Patty, I don't actually believe in the Bible at all. That's fine. So then you think I'm just doing circular argumentation, and that's fine. But I just want to point out to you that even if you don't think that the Bible is, is true at all, so how could it fulfill its own prophecies? Well, I just want to point out to you, it's a, it's a, this is a text that was written uh, a piece at a time over centuries. And there's this incredible unity of the story that, that is carried throughout that. It's hard to explain that you know, if God isn't a part of that whole thing. And furthermore, those who were closest to Jesus, those who were there, the ones who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them wrote stories of Jesus. They, they were persecuted and they died 
because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Because they believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of their own ancient scriptures. They had nothing to gain from from shaping or manipulating scripture to their own purposes. They had nothing nothing to gain from, from lying about it or making something up because they didn't gain power from it. They died for it. They gave up their lives for that. They actually believed, the ones that were there, first-hand accounts actually believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecy from their own Jewish faith. Nobody else has made that claim with any real long-term persuasion about anyone else in history. Just throwing that out there. And you go, well, Patty, people die for their faith in other religions. Yes, they do. And martyrdom is not, it's alone is, is not proof of truth. But it is a compelling argument to at least say that, that, that those who were closest, those who were there, those who wrote and told the stories actually believed it was true. And that counts for something. They believed that this was bigger than just a young couple and their baby. And it wasn't just them. I mean, it was their world around them. It wasn't just a few Jewish people in Bethlehem. No, then these magi, they come, these educated men, these, these wise men from the east, from a different people group, a different place, people who study the stars, studied the planets, studied their movements, all of that. They traveled a great distance because the signs in the sky said to them something significant has happened. There's a king that's been born. And they felt it was significant enough to travel for that. And when they went there and they went to Herod, who was a king, he didn't just go, oh, silly wise men, you know, get a better telescope. He didn't say that to them. It says when they said, hey, a king has been born, we've seen it in the stars, he took it seriously because he was the king and this was a threat to him. And in fact, it wasn't just Herod as some kind of paranoid guy. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Not Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Now it's a whole other city that thinks this is a big deal, that maybe somebody has been born. And then when Mary and Joseph fled with their baby, Matthew said that Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi, which, by the way, was another fulfillment of prophecy that that would happen. So Herod and all of Jerusalem and the Jewish leaders and the Magi from an entirely different people group, none of them thought this was just another young couple and their baby. They thought that this was part of something bigger. It's bigger in history, and it was bigger than even just this world. I mean, the whole, the whole story of Jesus' birth is this story of heaven and earth coming together in this, in this incredible way that you don't really see anywhere else. And John, when he starts the story and starts talking about Jesus, he starts the story way back at creation, thousands and thousands of years earlier. And he says that Jesus, who was born, Jesus was there at creation. He was the eternal God. And this is how, just how John starts the story. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. 
And that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then, he, and then he jumps to here, and he goes, and the word became flesh, became human, became people, and made his dwelling among us, moved into the neighborhood. And then John goes, and by the way, we saw it. We've seen his glory. We have seen the glory of the one and only son who came from the father and is full of grace and truth. John saw this as being much bigger than just this world. John saw this as this was God becoming human and coming to live in our world. The fancy word for it is the incarnation. And, and Jesus' birth, the story of his birth has all kinds of encounters with, you know, angels everywhere and dreams that just give guidance or give warnings of this is what you need to do or signs in the stars. It says this is not just another young couple and their baby. This is something that was much bigger than this world that seemed to think that the birth of Jesus was awfully significant. And Mary, it seems, is the only one who got that. She's the only one who understood from the beginning. Everybody else was a little slow on the uptake. They got there eventually. But Mary seemed to get it right from the beginning. And before she even gave birth. So here she is, just this young woman, pregnant, just living her regular life. And and she understands already that what is happening in her is something that is bigger than herself. It's something that's a part of a much bigger plan that she has become a part of. And she understands that God is at work. And that she's a part of it. And so she prays this incredible prayer, which I want to read to you today a little bit slowly and help you hear the depth of meaning and understanding and theology that she saw in what was happening in her life. This is what she said. My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And she said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Big picture. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. This young pregnant woman goes, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And then, and then get this, think of it with all that you know. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Remember that, that promise to Abraham way back there? All nations will be blessed through you and through your descendants. Mary goes, this is it. This is it. This is the fulfillment of that promise made over 2,000 years ago to our ancestor, Abraham. She understood that she was part of something bigger than herself. And she understood that anything that God was doing with her life was not just about her own life. It was, she was part of something that 
way predated her. And she was part of something that would long outlive her. And her response then was to own that and to acknowledge it and go, God, I get that I'm part of a bigger plan. I understand. I, I, she changed her frame of reference. She understood that she was part of God's story at work, and she decided to celebrate that and welcome that into her own life. This week, um, I got a little bit overwhelmed. Does anyone here ever get overwhelmed? Anyone? Does anyone here ever get overwhelmed with good, like you just can't take the joy anymore? That's what happened to me. This happens to my dog every time we come home. She just, she just can't handle it. There's too much joy. Because we, so I, was, I don't get overwhelmed with joy that often as my dog. But, but she, anyway, so I got overwhelmed in a good way. And the reason I got overwhelmed in a good way was there's so much good happening. I just was going, I can't take it anymore. I can't handle all the good stuff that's happening. And because I keep hearing stories and I keep getting emails of Pastor Patty this and Patty that. And here's another thing that happened. So, so we dropped, for example, a hint to you a couple of weeks ago about our property around the corner and what we think God is leading us to do with it. And you go, what is that? Anyway, I don't have time to tell you today. So I can't help. But can I tell you, we were in a meeting just over a week ago where our jaws dropped on the floor because we could not believe the amount of favor that is being shown to this church to be able to do what God, we think God is calling us to do. I just, I was like, what? It was amazing. Okay. And then I got somebody else told me, oh, so-and-so's colleague, you know, they've been, they've been talking to them at work and saying, hey, you know, this is a church. You come to my church if you want, or let me tell you about Jesus. And their colleague actually said to them, you know, I, I just, want you to know, I know you've been talking to me about your faith and could you keep doing that? (laughs) Because I just, I'm searching and I'm open to it and I'm happy to hear about it. And then somebody else, you know, so I'm just going to invite some people over and see if I can start building community in my building. And so they just sort of put up a sign. Can we have some people? Anybody want to come over for lunch? And 20 people showed up and they made 20 new friends uh, just within their building, just to start building community and, and revealing Jesus, that kind of a thing. And then I got looking back at the history of evangel that has led to this moment of us 103 years later. And then I don't know if you were here two weeks ago, but, but Don Mann and Marie-Jose Mann were here and they called all the young adults forward and there was hardly anybody left out there once they all came forward. I was just in tears going, I can't believe how many young adults we have. And they're not just here, they're actually serving and they're leading and they're shaping the future of this church. And I got so excited and so overwhelmed. I was like, it's just like, it's an avalanche of goodness. There's so much good that's happening and it's really exciting and also terrifying because I'm supposed to be in charge of it. (laughs) And that's a little bit scary. And so I went, okay, I should probably pray. (laughs) I should probably pray and just spend some time with God about this because I'm starting to lose it just a little bit. And so this scripture came up in my devotions. And, and it was from Deuteronomy uh, chapter, chapter 4, verse 39. And this is what it said. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God. In heaven above and on the earth below, there is no other. And I went, And you go, Patty, why does that matter? Because it was said in a context where there were multiple gods and different gods were attached to different people groups and different gods belonged to different geographical territories. And this was a statement that said, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. 
That's all the places, by the way. And then there is no other. The end. And I took a deep breath at this bigger story that we all get to be part of. And I just started to pray that scripture. And I said, God, you know, I'm a little bit overwhelmed with all of the things happening. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to manage it. I don't know how to lead it. I don't know how to serve. I don't, blah, blah. Lord, I acknowledge and take to heart this day that you are God in heaven above. And you are God on the earth below. There is no other. And, 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 and that's a pretty big God at work in this world, working and including each of us as part of his story and accomplishing his purposes and writing his story and inviting us to be part of it and even accomplishing his story through you and me. Can I just tell you, that's a lot bigger than a Christmas story. And, and last weekend, if you were here, you heard me say, why are you here? What's your story of Jesus? And I love Easter because it's this reminder that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We are. We're not separate from from this story that we're studying. It's not a separate thing. We're part of it. We're part of this one. We are part of the same story that God was writing in Abraham and King David and Mary. It's still the same story. And we're invited to be part of it. We get to be part of it. And the first step, and maybe the step that we do over and over again, because this pastor had to do it again this week because I got overwhelmed. And pastors are supposed to have it all together, you know. The first step, and maybe the repeated step, is to go, God, I'm acknowledging I'm part of something bigger. I'm acknowledging this isn't about me. I'm acknowledging that that you are God in heaven above and the earth below and there is no other. And and I'm going to welcome that God and your story into my life because I want to be part of something that's bigger than myself. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. I believe that God is at work in this church in in a way that really matters right now. And I'm seeing stories happen. And I can't tell all of them yet. But there's something that's starting to happen in people's lives where people who are going, you know, I've been following God or just kind of serving God, but I didn't really know Jesus. And Patty, when you said, you know, you can't reveal Jesus unless you experience him, I thought, I don't know my story of Jesus. And and they prayed, and God is giving them a story of Jesus. Or people that have been following God for a long time, but they were like, I don't know how to carry this outside of myself. I don't know how to, how to carry Jesus to my world. And suddenly God is just opening doors and giving opportunities that weren't there before. And it's exciting. And I really believe that God is doing something here. And, and there's room for you and there's room for me because we're part of something bigger. So here's how I want to end this morning. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me. I'm going to ask uh, if we could put that scripture that's back up on the screen because we're going we're gonna to end by praying this scripture. And for some of you, it'll be the first time you've ever prayed something like this. And for some of you, you've done it a million times. And I'm just telling you, let's do it again. And we're going we're gonna to just literally pray the words that are on the screen with the word I first. Okay? Here we go. I acknowledge and take to heart this day 
that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Just let that sink into your heart. Can we pray it again? And can we pray it with the word we instead of I because we're family and we're all in this together? God, we acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below, and there is no other. You feel the things starting to line up in place where you see that your story is some, it's part of something that's much bigger than you. God, one more time, as a church, we acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below, and there is no other. And God, we stand and we acknowledge and we welcome that truth into our lives that you are God above, below, there is no other, and our lives are part of your story. And we invite you, God, some of us need to have an experience of Jesus that helps us to understand who Jesus is and makes it personal for us. And we're inviting you, God, to do that. Some of us, we need to have, we need to see something new, something more. I think of the, what, what Danielle said, I have something more for you if you want it. And we're looking for that something more. And so God, as we acknowledge that you are God above and below and there is no other, would you change our story? Would you expand our story? Would you uh, take us into your story in a way that is much bigger than ourselves? God, we ask that you would do this. And as we go out into our world today, into our workplaces and our schools and our families and our friends and all of that, would you help us to carry Jesus well? Would you help us to do good, love each other, and reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs him? And we will do it all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have a prayer meeting in 59 minutes in the Lighthouse. We'd love to have you join us there. It's just a one-hour prayer meeting. Make sure you say hi to someone on your way out. Grab yourself a coffee at the Connect Cafe. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.